Finley Toyota Studio, it's Coalfield and Company. Today's Coalfield and Company on this Wednesday. Adam Hill, Willie Ramirez here right now. Steve Cofield in a little bit will join the program. If we let him. Perhaps. Perhaps. We shall see. Lots to get into today, of course. The search continues on the front for the Raiders GM and head coach. The reconstruction of the roster and the front office and the organization basically begins now. We'll get into a little bit of that. Have you applied, by the way? I haven't. Mm. I have some good plays. I actually would. I would love to. I would not. I was like, no, silly. I would love to be like the clock management uh, analytic guy of, you know, when to go on fourth downs, when to go, um, when to, you know, go for two-point conversions, how to manage the clock late in games. I would love doing that. That'd be great. And it's amazing still. And God, we could get into this. We have we have things to get into. Yeah, yeah. I'll start by saying this before we even ask how you're doing today. Uh, it is amazing. And I've heard this said before, and it, it's actually sadly true, where when you hear people talk about Football and like oh, I could do that. I could, you know, people. You know, uh, uh, the other day we heard um, Denzel Perriman talking about you know all these people that tell him how bad he is in coverage, and he's like, "Why don't you come show me how to do it then?" And it's silly. Those things are silly. And you, and guy sitting at home does not know how to manage or how to design plays or run plays better than coaches in the NFL. But if you want to make the case. That people that regularly play Madden are better at clock management and analytic decisions than actual NFL coaches. I'm here to listen to that argument. I could see that. I could see that there's probably, you know, you have coaches and coordinators who get mad at reporters who have never played a sport, right? They went the journalism route, yours truly. Uh, I, I would venture to say that there are some old school coaches who don't know analytics like some reporters do, and sure. and they and they could out you know outshine them with with numbers and and teach them a thing or two. And their response would be, well, you know, I've seen it play out fifty times, fifty thousand times, so I understand. What, well, it's it's not understanding like analytics is just math. And I right. wish maybe we That's should talk, you know as, as I've I've tried to rebrand a lot of the way we talk about analytics. Let's just say math. Like late in games when you're deciding whether to call a timeout or not, there's no magic football formula to it. It's math. Right. It's doing the math of how does this timeout work out with this one? Do you call it here or there? Like those things are just math. And a lot of it's not hard to figure out in terms of percentages. The higher the percentage of doing something, if it's in your favor, you have to consider it. A lot <sighs> of these guys, are, they're just stubborn against it. We'll, we'll, we'll get it. it we'll, we can get into it more. But I, I've started saying now – because it's easier for people to understand, like analytics and fourth down decisions and two point conversions are essentially it's like playing blackjack. Like there is a right way to do it, which over the long haul works out better for you. Right now, you don't have to. You can tell me, hey, I hit on I hit on seventeens and I get fours all the time, so that's what I do. Okay, I mean that's what coaches are saying. Right. I've seen this happen. Be I know I know, I know cards. Like okay, you, you can say that, but over the long haul. If you play it the way that you're supposed to play it, it works out better for you statistically than just that's my gut. That's what my gut says to do. Okay, well your your gut's probably an idiot. Got to hit on sixteen. Got to hit on sixteens against tens. Of course you do. And guess what? When somebody doesn't believe you and they take an eight, like see I busted. You're like, 
That's fine. It's not about one hand. It's about putting yourself in the best position to win long term. Especially against a, especially against a double deck, <laughs> and you're sitting and, and the rest of the table is counting on you. I'm not even going to go further on that one either. You said we, we could talk about lots of things. I, New Year's Eve was an interesting night for myself <laughs> at a local. I, I took myself out and, and then I decided to play a little blackjack and 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 someone was, eh. The, the dealer was looking at me with a smirk going, I know you want to say something, but don't say anything. <laughs> I love those nights. I was actually in the air on New Year's Eve. That was fun. Oh, yeah. at, I, at, when I remember you, you were excited because you were going to celebrate New Year's like three time zones or two time zones yeah, or something like that. Every time I flew over. Yeah. Instead, I just started uh, watching the new season of Cobra Kai and landed in, landed in safe. I had to start. I'm almost ready. Oh, boy. I'm almost You're ready. Out of control. Let's get to it. It's Trending at 3, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. All right, so I guess I've, I should have started saying, how are you doing, sir? I didn't say that today. Okay. good. haven't seen you in a while. I know. It's been, it's been a while. Since a playoff game. Uh, how is Max Crosby doing? Because it sounds like he is really, he's really lobbying, along with most of the rest of the players who have spoken on the record about this. He is. Uh, he is going public and really lobbying uh, for Rich Passaccia to be the head coach of the Raiders. Max Crosby now joining the bandwagon? Well, I think he's been on the bandwagon sure. since since the postgame press conference you attended in Cincinnati. I mean, he's he's been right up there just as vocal as uh, Derek Carr. And, and, you know, Steve and I talked about this the other day, is I, I have to wonder, I, I'm sure that it's not Mark Davis's concern, and nor should it be, or the incoming general manager, but, you know... You have to wonder when two captains and personalities like Derek Carr and Max Crosby are lobbying so hard. That means that there's going to be people on board is if he doesn't get the job and someone else comes in, now let's just say that he wants to bring in his own staff. You got to re- you, you sort of have to hope that you get the locker room b- back because you not only do you have to gain the locker room, but you may lose it before you've even gotten the job because – they were going for the other guy. Yeah, I think whoever you know is the coach because it does seem like I think Rich Bisaccia is a legitimate candidate, but I don't think he's leading candidate. I don't think he's really near the leading candidate spot. No, no. I think you know they're supposedly sitting down with him right now as we speak over. Yeah, today. Um, yeah. I would assume at the facility, maybe you know, maybe they went to PF Chang's or something, hung out. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, they're having that conversation, and Rich Bisaccia can sell him on you know all the things that he's done. Well, and what he had to do to get here, and why he deserves the job, and I, I don't necessarily know that Rich Passacci is the guy that's going to go in there and be like, you know, make excuses and, hey man, he doesn't have to. He, you know, he was successful, but, um, you know, why they lost in the first round and why, you know, they did kind of go sideways a little bit after the Henry Ruggs situation. Like, he doesn't really have to answer for those because they turned it around and they righted the ship. But, um, you know, explain why he'd be good for the job, and I don't know that if he's good at that, he doesn't. He's not really a a pitch man for himself, but I think he's, you know, explaining why he deserves it and why he should be there. And I think he'll probably let everybody else lobbying for him uh, do that for him. But you're, I mean, you're right when, you know, at some point when somebody is so beloved in the locker room and if they, and I think that's also why it's important for the Raiders to give him a legitimate shot, because if he's not even considered, then all of a sudden you do have that situation in the locker room. Like, Hey man, we fought for this guy. We love this guy. And then you just pushed him out the door without even really interviewing him. That's, that's nonsense. And here's the thing. I don't know if in today's meeting, 
if he's really actually lobbying for himself and explaining why he need why he's right for the job because I think he's already shown why he's right for the job. I think more than anything, which isn't fair to him, is that he, which you started to say is he's probably spending more time explaining what went wrong and what needs to be fixed, which is which which in turn he's trying to sort of tell what went wrong on his on his part since he took over. Um as far as what why he's capable, I think he proved that above and beyond through continued adversities it, with a team that never expected to pull off the improbable four straight uh wins down the stretch. I mean you know, if we're going to say, if we're going to, you know, bl- ridicule and blame specific uh, aspects on the field in in mistakes that took place in different games, even even in victories, right? In in blowing a fifteen point lead to to the Chargers in the finale, and then losing to the Bengals, and say it starts at the top. Well, then the same could be said on the four game winning streak. It starts at the top. So I, I'm not sure how much convincing more than the writing that's on the wall in terms of what he did on the field under the headset um, more than he needs to explain. I think uh, I saw it summed up a way that I thought was pretty accurate. Uh, tremendous leadership, unremarkable game day coaching. I think that would be how it was described. And I I certainly think you can make the case how long, how long does that last? Like that formula, if that is the case, and listen, I, I – I don't think it's completely inaccurate. Some other some people may disagree, but if that's the case, if you're a great leader who can motivate and get guys fired up and love to play for you, how long is that sustainable if you're not remarkable as a game day coach? I think that's fair. Here's the thing that I I have to wonder if this might be a knock and and I don't think that Max Crosby realized that he's doing it if this is a if this turn if this were to turn into somewhat of a an issue. I go up and walk in his office like he's my friend. I could really have those conversations. You don't find that often. It's just special. When you have something like that in the building already, in my opinion, you should keep that. Do you want a friend or do you want a coach? Yep. You know, because now all of a sudden if Max does something, you know, is he become has he be now do you owe Max Crosby or Derek Card are they your buddies or when it comes time to get on them, can you do that? So, you know, Mark Davis could look at that and go, well, we don't need a friend. We need a coach. We need a boss. Sure. I think it's only fair to, to point out. It seems like he has held guys accountable, even if oh, absolutely. they have a different sort of relationship. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think he's the kind of guy that's just going to, um, you know, be friend, not disciplinary. And I think he can definitely, he definitely has that in him. Um, just a different type of a coach. Well, obviously still looking for a GM as well uh, as looking for a head coach. Uh, a couple new camps have emerged. Uh, we know Champ Kelly, uh, somebody that's in the Bears organization. Uh, we'll be getting an interview. Um, Trey Brown, a Bengal scout, also uh, looks like you know he's been requested uh, an interview. Um, I know Ed Dodds and, and Ziegler have been among the uh, the top candidates. So um, more and more candidates being added to the list by the day, and interviews kind of starting in that regard. But uh, I think it is fair to ask, and I don't think we have an answer to this at this point. How much is one job tied to the other? What do you do first? You find a coach, and then choose a GM, which I think would probably be the case if it's Jim Harbaugh I think you would say okay let him maybe decide or have some say in who the next guy is going to be or do you hire a GM who then is in charge of bringing in his own coach that's the question that they're facing right now I think there are only two people in which if you can get that though one of those two people 
then you grab them and not necessarily worry about prioritizing getting a GM. And I think that's Jim Harbaugh or Mike Tomlin, which are the names that are being thrown out there, not because they're they're rumored to be uh, you know, thinking about it, but more so that those would be the ideal targets. Um, but other than that, I think you have to go for the – I personally think you need to go for a GM first, and I think you need to have two different people this time around when you're restructuring. A GM who's going to be a GM and a coach who's going to run the football, you know, the day-to-day operation in terms of on the field and someone who's going to run the organization day-to-day, separate powers. We can get into more of that as the show goes on. I will say one other name that has been mentioned, Doug Peterson, I think would be important in that case as well, only because uh, Doug Peterson has had some issues getting along with bosses in the past. So uh, that could be interesting to monitor as well. We'll get into that and a whole much more as the show pro- progresses. But next, Justin Watkins. Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at 3. It's a refi rate at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts. Only on Cofield and Company. It is Cofield and Company. On a Wednesday, Adam Hill, Willie Ramirez, Steve Cofield will be here shortly, checking in with us on the program. But our good friend Justin Watkins joins us as always on a Wednesday. How you doing, sir? What's happening? Well, not the Golden Knights. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. What is going on with your squad, Justin? I'm not worried at all. I don't know. I, I, I mean... You know, considering everything about having different lineups almost every single night for as long as they've had it, um, you know, I thought that they played above uh, expectations um, during the the worst of of it. Um, they haven't been playing well at home all year, uh, but I think I think it's fine. You know, I don't, I think it's going to be another little blip on the radar. Uh, you know, they get on the road. They have a real tough road trip coming up that will be, I think, a, a success if they split. But I'm, I'm far from worried. Yeah, they, I mean, in, in your, as you're referencing, I mean, early in the season, they just had so many guys out. And they had a, basically an all-star team that was sitting up in the press box watching games every day. And Robin Leonard was carrying them and, and keeping them uh, afloat in the standings with some unbelievable performances. And uh, he was hurt. And I don't think he's been completely... Uh, you know, there or definitely completely good since then, uh, since he returned. Uh, so I, I think at this point, you know, uh, Pete DeBoer talked about it not not too long ago, and he said, "Hey, listen, for the first you know month or so, he was saving us every night, and now uh, we're not, you know, now that we're playing a little bit better, he's struggling a little bit. We'll we'll all get on the same page at some point." And I feel like that is kind of the confidence level that they have right now. Through all this, you know, early on the team was hurt. Now the goaltender struggling a little bit. And they're still right there at the top of the standings. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's rare that you're going to go through a season without having a little bit of of a struggle with a goaltender. You know, it was funny. I was at the Flurry return game, and and you know, Flurry make a save, and the crowd be like, "Yo, that's how a save's supposed to look." And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, if you're looking at their save percentage yeah. and the you know saves above expected, it, you know, your your Flurry hasn't had a good year. You know, he had a good, he had a good couple games, yeah, and he's had a couple shutouts, 
But at the beginning of the year, he was giving up four, five, six every single night for weeks. So, you know, it, it, every goaltender goes through it. Um, I actually thought in the Pittsburgh game, I thought, you know, for the first 30 minutes, he was playing fantastic. And then I, di- I didn't put any of the goals mm-hmm. on him. I mean, defensively, they were just absolute, complete and utter breakdowns. Maybe you could say on the one that was a rebound where it, it shouldn't, you know, came off his glove that maybe he should have caught it. Maybe. But other than that, I didn't put any of the goals on Leonard. I think, hmm. yeah, and I think early on Pittsburgh maybe started fairly slow. Uh, mm-hmm. They may have enjoyed themselves this weekend. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> uh, I know people don't like to hear that. That well, road team's were, coming to do that. They had said they they were on an they've been on an extended road trip too. So that and it sort of started in Philly and it kind of straight. It wasn't like a West Coast trip. It started in one and it crossed some time zones. So they had mentioned the one thing you know what stood out to me in the post game presser is that Jeff Carter was he was extremely adamant and deliberate in how he said what took place in the locker room, but wouldn't. He wasn't as deliberate in telling us what was said. He just said that the veterans, the people that have been around, that have won championships, so you got to assume it's Malkin, Crosby, right? And what they said, and when somebody pressed him, hey, what was said, he goes, yeah, we're good. Next question. <laughs> he wouldn't say. So I'm guessing that they went in there, dropped some F-bombs, said, hey, guys, what are we doing? You know, I have to wonder if that's taking place in the Gold Knights where they're just being sort of passive and nobody I haven't seen I haven't seen this team come out and play angry. Like Pittsburgh came out in the second and third periods and played angry. They played deliberate. I haven't really seen that from the Gold Knights in a handful of games. Yeah, you know, I don't disagree with you. Actually, the, the one I can point to was the the third period of the Winnipeg game and I thought to myself, "Dang, if they had played the first 40 minutes with the desperation that they're playing these last 20 minutes, this game wouldn't have been close. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they were just out hustling for every puck. They were every 50-50 battle was like the game depended on it. And that's not how they played the first 20 minutes. And so I I I tend to agree with you. Uh, you know, I get how how great of a player Mark Stone is. Um, but he I don't know yet whether or not that's his personality in the locker room um he's a captain he better get to it well it it depends on what kind of captains you have right i mean i don't know what the captains are like in in tampa you know tampa seems to be a more uh corporate sort (laughs) of approach to to hockey than say pittsburgh in the down dirty and and tampa's got the most recent success so i don't think there's there's only one way to do it uh, but I think that, uh, you know, you know, we know Jonathan Marshall's a fiery character, but he's not who was selected as a captain. Um, uh, I think stone's a little bit more maybe deliberate, um, and less fiery. And maybe that's, that's reflected in the play on the ice. I, I don't know. I've never been in that locker room. Justin Watkins, our legal expert, also our, our golden Knights, Fan, I guess we'll we'll say, and uh, definite fo- follow close follower uh, of the team and everything's going on. Uh, also, our political analyst at times, former uh, member of the legislature here in Nevada. So, did you have thoughts on what Nick Saban and and several other prominent people did in sending a letter about the passage of the voting rights bill? Uh, They're really getting involved here. Although Nick Saban was careful to say, "Hey, I'm not against 
getting rid of the filibuster. I think that's a mistake. Like, he's really uh, leaning into this a little bit. You know, I think in the, the, the recruiting game of college athletics is changing with NIL, um, with, well, it's been changing with the access to social media. Uh, and I don't think that it's as easy to relate to 18 year olds, most of whom are people of color, uh, as it used to be if you don't have some credibility. And I think for a lot of people in a lot of different parts of this country, a lot of young people, they know about this issue and just being silent on it isn't sufficient to maintain credibility. I have to believe that's part of the equation. I'm sure Nick Saban doesn't want to put himself in the crosshairs on any of these issues, but I, I think he, he must believe he needs to uh, for the benefit, you know, even if I'm not going to be as cynical, maybe I'll be a little bit more uh, hopeful about it and say that he has an ongoing dialogue with his current players and believes he's doing the right thing for them and for their future. Um, but certainly, uh, I, I have to imagine it's it's a topic of conversation in and around him, both on the recruiting and on the team front. Sure. Uh, and, of course, people with their stick to sports, which this is kind of sports related. If your athletes care about something. That's sports. Uh, yep. So settle down with that stuff. Uh, John Gruden has a lawsuit against the NFL. Their response to the suit was due today from what we have gathered from reports. What does that mean? What is a response to the lawsuit and what and what stage of the process is that? So it, it's the first stage. It's uh, I, don't, I don't know how many stages there are. <laughs> I haven't thought about it in those terms. But it's the very first stage um, because it's your first interaction in legal documents. And so you can respond effectively in one of two ways. One, you can ask the court to throw it all or part of the lawsuit out for various technicalities or for substantive reasons. Or two, you answer the lawsuit, in which case you either admit or deny each of the allegations that's, that's made in the complaint. That's it. Uh, and depending on which one of those two they select, it triggers a set of deadlines and a set of, of court dates that pertain to each of those different avenues. If they're moving to dismiss the case, well, then a, a hearing will be set and the other side gets to file an opposition. They get a reply and then the hearing happens. Um, if they answer the complaint, well, then the two the parties will meet and discuss how much time they need for the discovery phase, which is the time in which depositions are taken, documents are exchanged and uh, written questions and demands for documents and, and other admissions can be made in writing. And uh, that process can take anywhere from nine months to three years, depending on the complexity of the case. Uh, so uh, I haven't seen any responsive document yet. I don't know if they're filed a motion to kick out the case. Uh, in theory, they could have some legal basis to do that. Uh, if they believe that this is more properly brought within the collective bargaining agreement uh, as an employee of one of the members, I haven't read the CBA. I don't believe the coaches are a part of the CBA, but the contract with the Raiders may have elected for arbitration for any complaints against the Raiders and the NFL may try to uh, seek that protection. Um, so that would be a basis to dismiss the action, saying it should be in an in, in arbitration. Um, but 
we'll see. Uh, I, I, like I said, I haven't seen the contracts, so I don't know where their legal basis would be for that. But if they do file a motion to dismiss or any other motion, we should see the, that document in full form as an exhibit. It sounds like the analysts that I've read mostly expect that they will file to, uh, to dismiss the case. And, you know, one of them, and you just mentioned it, would be, hey, this, is better, this would be better served in arbitration. That's where the contract calls for this to go. Um, I guess my first question when I read that, not having an understanding of that, and obviously we haven't seen the contracts or what would govern this, but would a termination fall under arbitration of employment because the employment's over, right? No. So if there was a, a mandatory arbitration clause that – because in theory, the, the claim would be about – the termination of whether or not it was proper, well, then the contract is going to survive. Now here, I don't think it's that simple. Number one, I'm sure the NFL is not a party to the contract. It's the Raiders and and their contract. And if the Raiders have already settled their spot, I'm sure John Gruden has carved out uh, as part of that settlement the survivalship of this his claim against the nfl or whatever he believes his claim to be but number two what the claim hit the claim that john gruden is going is making against the nfl is not a contractual claim it's not that the nfl breached a contract or any contractual duties owed to john gruden it's actually a tort he's saying they've done a civil wrong that they interfered in with his contract with the Raiders by leaking out this information for the purposes of poisoning his contractual relationship with the Raiders and getting him fired. That is not bound by any terms of contract. So whatever his contract terms are with the Raiders, it would not matter. Now, if he had a separate side agreement with the NFL that said any claims, whether they are based in contract or based in tort, must go to arbitration, well, then they would have a basis to argue that this should go to arbitration, even though it's not bound by the four corners of the contract. Hopefully that made some kind of sense. Absolutely. It always makes sense when you describe it for us, Justin. Very helpful with all of these legal issues and so much more uh, when you join us on the show. In fact, we're going to hear more from Justin when we continue, including potentially a massive, massive verdict uh, in that Michigan case and uh Tyler Bischoff, our good friend, what is he doing? Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. Every 37 seconds, someone is arrested for possession of marijuana. Since 2010, state and local police have arrested an estimated 7.3 million Americans for violating marijuana laws, over half of all drug arrests. Black people are four times more likely to be arrested for marijuana laws than white people. States waste $3.7 billion enforcing marijuana laws every year. Most of the people police are arresting aren't dealers, but rather people with small amounts of pot, just like me. I'm Gary Chambers, and I'm running for the U.S. Senate, and I approve this message. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. There we go. Back here, Justin Watkins joins us here, Cofield and Company. A 37 second ad to tell us that somebody is arrested every 37 seconds for marijuana possession. Ari asks, 
Do you think they made the ad 37 seconds on purpose? Yes, Ari, they did. Uh, effective ad, Mr. Watkins? I thought it was very effective. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know if that means he's going to win, <laughs> but the fact that we're talking about it all the way across the country yeah. shows how effective it was. Uh, I thought the statistics in the ad about the amount of money that was spent on marijuana enforcement, not only on you know the the price of law enforcement, but the price of jailing and what that could mean to the Louisiana economy, I thought was all well done. Um, you know. Ultimately, at the end of the day, do the people of Louisiana agree with that? I don't know. I've, <laughs> you know, I've only ever been to Louisiana like two times in my whole life. I, had, I do not have my finger on the pulse of that, but I like the ad. I thought it was well, well produced and, and well thought out. Uh, from that, we go to a, a massive settlement in the uh, Michigan abuse case. $490 million settlement with a th- more than 1,000 people. Who say they were sexually assaulted? The numbers are just staggering. Uh, it sounds like an incredible amount of money, but is it enough? I don't know. I don't know the specifics of the different levels of abuse that we're talking about here. You know, in the story that was sent over, it talks about all the major, you know, settlements in regards to sex abuse scandals from Michigan State. Um, and you know, the, the big dollars that were put there, USC has the biggest so far, 850 million. Um, but number one, it depends on the number of claimants here. There was 1,050 claimants. So if it were equal across the board, that would be, you know, roughly $450,000 a piece. Is that enough? I don't know. Was the person raped? Or were they touched, you know, in places that they didn't want to be touched? Um, that may sound crass, but that matters when I'm talking about what I think a jury would come back with in a verdict. Um, you know, it. Most trial attorneys right now are still trying to figure out where juries sit on these kinds of allegations. You know, what level of abuse means what amount in their in the jurors minds um you know there's some people who are like me that say you know any form of penetration is rape whether it's digital or otherwise some people disagree with that um and where do juries sit anybody who says they know doesn't know um so at the end of the day uh that's a pretty big number that they got um but I can't tell you whether it's fair because I don't know the breadth of the allegations and the details of each of those 1,050 people. Yeah, no, oh, yeah, 1,050 people, as you said, 30 million of it will go uh, for future claims, which, which, could, which could come from this as well. Uh, so, you know, not, uh, no joy. I mean, I know the, uh, the whistleblower who originally brought this all up put out a statement, um, basically said the settlement is going, not basically, this is a quote, the settlement is going to gloss things over so Michigan can go back to having a glossy block M and look wonderful for the world, but the situation on campus is horrible. So um, no, you know, no joy obviously coming out of this, uh, really from any party. I would, I would imagine that's, you know, these things can, you know, bring some restitution, but can't make people whole in these situations. So always awful stories to talk about. Um, a fun story to talk about. I don't know if that's uh, the right transition, but much more fun than that. Uh, Tyler Bischoff put out a video uh, showing him crashing his own car into his garage. 
It was funny for all of us. Uh, Very hilarious. We all got a big kick out of it. I was sending it to a lot of people that also loved it. Uh, But mistake to post it on social media? No, I I don't think so, unless he was planning on lying to his insurance company about (laughs) how it happened. Okay. Um, But, you know... Steve sort of said, you know, is this an at fault? And I'm like, yeah, it's for sure it's an at fault accident <laughs> unless unless there was some mechanical malfunction. Like sure. if he had the car in park and it rolled forward, then then it's not his fault, you know. But uh, judging by his response to what everybody was saying, I'm assuming that there was no mechanical malfunction. Wait but a minute. That... Go ahead. Wait a minute. <laughs> <clears throat> As Tyler's unofficial counselor, I would have to argue that if you watch the video, and speaking of mechanical malfunction, what took what took it so long to take off? If you see, he gets out of the car, then he goes around to the back seat, it, and then he takes something. I believe he went to the back seat, takes something, right? Took something out to put in the garage. And then when he came back to it, and then it started moving. Yeah. Like, if I get out of my car and it's in drive, it's going to keep going. What took so long for it to even do that in the first place? Well, There's I, a technicality I, there, Justin. Right? <laughs> hey, hey, well, I'll tell you something about one of the cars that I've owned recently is the trunk won't open if the car's not in park. Mm. And his trunk did open. Um, but I, my initial thought on that delay was, I wonder if the auto stop was on and then it, right. He wasn't in park, mm. but that, the, the auto stop was sort of on and he was distracted, forgot to put the car in park, got out and then it kicked on. And oh, so what if the auto but stop I failed? I don't There's know. A mechanic. Who knows? There, but you know, Tyler might have a case. <laughs> Depends on whether whether or not he's willing. The to auto stop the might have endangered his foot. Could have ran over his foot. There's a lot of things here. Tyler may have a case in his on his behalf. <laughs> you don't get you don't get compensated for coulda woulda shoulda. I'm flipping like, the switch. That, that's not how it works. I how am it works. flipping the switch in favor of Tyler. <laughs> but I'll say this: if you have decent coverage on your on your automobile, it does that. Ultimately, that question doesn't matter, hmm. right? If you have collision coverage on your auto insurance policy, it doesn't matter if it was his fault or not. They'll cover the loss. So um, I'm not sure what he had uh, for his insurance policy and whether or not that question is going to become a pivotal point in, in what the insurance pays for it. Um, but I agree with you. You know, uh, Willie, there, there, there is something to talk about there. Uh, it, you know, cars don't just drive themselves away after. <laughs> From a lawyer's standpoint, somebody, somebody in your shoes is going to look at that and go, hey, 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 now wait a minute. No. Right? That, that's a- no, it's clearly it's clearly his fault no matter what happened. <laughs> it was clearly him just screwing up. I think it was just because it was on a downslope. It took a little while to build up and start going. Uh, my real question when I saw this, Justin, and maybe it's irrelevant, I don't know, but I mean, if you have separate homeowner and auto insurance policies is this your homeowner insurance or your auto insurance if, if it yeah. crashes into the house and damages the house oh man who's claiming yeah they're, they're they're both gonna provide potential coverage um in this situation i believe the auto would be primary yeah so if he did not have auto insurance that covered it meaning he didn't have collision coverage then he would rely on his auto i mean i'm sorry his home policy for it and, and they're gonna have actual you know, just general liability um, sort of coverage. So, yeah, it, both both 
could have language to cover this loss. Listen, if you have issues, we know who to call. Justin, what do you guys got going on, and uh, how can people get a hold of you? Well, same number as it's always been, 702-570-9000. And, you know, I'm just up in the podcast room, you know, making use of it, <laughs> looking forward to the day when we can actually, you know, do some podcasts up here in the, in the, yeah. the, the 3BC and, uh, you know, hoping everybody's having a good start to their year. And you'll be out at the game tomorrow or no? I will not be at the game tomorrow. It's a rematch no. with the Canadians. What are you talking about? Not, not for me. I, I, <laughs> You're I'll, I'll give be, it up. I'll be at the next one. I'll be at, I'll be at Buffalo when uh, Tuck and Krebs return. There you go. And like half of their roster, Eakins yeah. on Buffalo, Colin Miller's on Buffalo, Eichel uh, in the press box. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'll be there for that. I think I think that's February first or second. There you go. Great, great stuff, sir. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thank you. And we continue get some information on the Colts. Uh, what went wrong at the end of their season, and also find out a little bit about their assistant GM, Ed, Ed Dobbs, who could be a candidate here in Las Vegas. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. When John Gruden was relieved of his duties, so was Mike Mayock, because they're tied at the hip. Mike Mayock was essentially a glorified assistant to the head coach. He was not a qualified general manager. In the end... He was, you know, basically the yes man. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Back here on Cofield and Company on this Wednesday. Lots of Raiders talk. Lots happening. I know I love it. When, you know, being on the Raiders beat, I get calls from people like, hey, you got to be glad the season's over, huh? Like, uh, no, it's really just starting. There's news every day. Like, we've got a lot of things going on. Mike Mayock out, team looking for a new general manager and perhaps a new head coach as well. The search underway there. We're starting to learn about some of these candidates. Also wanted to talk about a team that I fell in love with, mostly through hard knocks this year and the Indianapolis Colts. Season did not end the way that they wanted to. Stephen Holder covers the team for the Athletic. How are you doing, sir? I'm great. How are you? We are good. We are uh, in limbo about what the the future of this Raiders franchise is going to look like. Uh, but let's start with the team that you cover. What on earth happened in Jacksonville? Yeah. Um, you know, I've had almost two weeks, I guess a week and a half <laughs> to think about it. And I don't have great answers even now. So I I just think. A few things caught up to them, uh, certainly with in, in terms of their their offense, you know, not functioning well toward the end of the season. You know, you saw it with the Raiders game. I thought, you know, a lot of it started there. It really started before that. That's not even the week before that um, out in Arizona, even though they got a big win there. Their, their passing game, their offense in general, just wasn't very functional that night. They just happened to put together a big drive at the end, force some turnovers, and and end up getting the win. I, I would go so far as to say even the week before that, so I think with, with four weeks to go, they beat New England in a primetime game a lot of people saw. And I was looking at something earlier today, and I, I recall that from seeing it, my story from the New England win when they won the game was about how Carson Wentz really was teetering and they needed to sort of put together a better offensive finish to the season. Well, they never did. And I think it caught up to them in, in weeks uh, 17 and 18. So, uh, you know, I think COVID was a factor as well. They had sort of lots of things going on in that realm as well. And I, I do think that played a role, but I don't think you can pin it all on that. They, 
they just really, I just think, got out of character and didn't finish strong. Yeah, Stephen, and, you know, to your point, I think it goes back even further. That week that you talk about with New England, 49 passing yards, but further back to the first meeting with Jacksonville, from that point on is where you sort of saw a decline. They had two only two games where they threw for more than uh, 220 or more yards. Other than that, it was yep. very lackluster. With that being said, during the offseason, um, I know there's some question marks out there. Or there's some at least being raised. Um, as far as the offseason needs, is Carson Wetz the guy that they want to go forward with? Do, do, do you think that there's a little bit of distance now between him and Frank Reich? What is, what is the situation with the quarterback position? And do you think that there's a chance they make a run at one of the two, three big names that are going to be available? I think they have to look into every possibility. It doesn't mean they'll they'll pull the trigger, and it doesn't mean even that that a, a viable solution will present itself. That they may even may not even happen, right? I mean, they they may not have the means to get what they want. But I think they have to they have to make calls, they have to listen, and they have to get creative and see if there's a, a an avenue to, to getting something or getting a, an upgrade at quarterback. I, I think they have to consider it. I, I'm not optimistic that they're going to pull it off. They don't have a first-round pick, thanks to Carson Wentz and that trade. I, I, don't, I, don't hate the pit, I don't hate the trade. I think they had to take a shot. They were in a really bad spot. They have a good roster. They had to take a shot. I, you know, so I understand why they did it, and I don't begrudge them for doing it, but – I don't think you can sit here today and say it was successful. I don't think anyone would make that argument right now. They're not even making that argument. None of the comments from postseason really endorsed the way that Carson Wentz played. I think they stopped short of saying there's going to be a change, but I think they absolutely left the door open for a change. So I, I think they're going to avail, avail themselves of, of all the possibilities, and, and we'll see where they come down. I Again, I'm not optimistic, huh. but I think they're going to be in the market. So for right now, if if Carson Wentz is indeed the quarterback next year, it looks like Frank Reich and Chris Ballard and the, you know, the power structure uh, remains in place, but pretty much everyone else is getting job interviews all over the place. Coordinators up for head coaching jobs, running backs, coaches up for offensive coordinator jobs. Everybody is in high demand around that team, so – I guess even if the the power structure at the top stays in place, how different will this organization look next year? We'll see. I, I think they have some real strong candidates for a couple of spots. Uh, defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus, I think. I, I guess you'd say he's a he's a finalist in two places. Yeah. You know, Chicago wants to set up a second interview. Earlier today, we learned Jacksonville was uh, arranging a second interview as well. So I I think he's potentially in line for one of those jobs. We'll see. I mean, there may be other finalists as well, but he's in the mix. Uh, they have two members of their front office who are getting interviews. Uh, so certainly Ed Dodds and, and Morocco Brown is, is up for the Chicago Bears GM job as well. So, uh, and, and they have some, a couple of position coaches who are, who are in the mix for, for you know, coordinator jobs and what have you. I'll say this. I mean, they lost a couple of huge pieces last year to Philadelphia. Nick Sirianni, no question, uh, a, definitely a trusted right-hand man for Frank Reich. And they, they took Jonathan Gannon with them. Uh, Sirianni did as well, became his defensive coordinator there in Philadelphia. They had a good season, nine wins. Uh, and so they had to account for that loss last season. And they were able to. I mean, I, I think the quarterback play 
saw a decline this year, maybe from Philip Rivers, but I thought from a from a scheme standpoint and philosophical standpoint, I still think they were really strong. So so they've shown an ability to weather those kinds of losses before. Uh, I think the Ed Dodds, though, I, I think that would be an interesting one. Hmm. He's really one of the best scouts out there, and and his excuse me, is Chris Ballard's uh, really his his right hand man in the front office. So that would be an interesting loss if that indeed does happen. So we did want to get into him a little bit more. And then Stephen Holder recovers the Colts for the athletic joining us. A lot of people in Las Vegas interested in this name all of a sudden. I love, you know, nobody knows anybody, any you know, front office people. And then all of a sudden everybody gets their favorites, uh, you know, as we start to approach a search. But Ed Dodd's certainly an interesting name for a lot of people here because he has been in the Raiders organization before and – there is some thought out there from some that maybe if he's the GM, then Jim Harbaugh's the coach. And Ed Dodds withdrew his name from the Bears' uh, job today, reportedly. So a lot of writing on the wall of, oh, that's because he wants the Raiders' job because that's where Jim Harbaugh's going to go. I mean, what kind of – I guess we'll just start with what kind of hire would he be for the Raiders? Sounds like you're pretty high on him. Yeah, I, I think you're right on, on a couple of things, though. I would start by saying – Yes, you're right. None of us truly know how these guys you know, would project as a general manager. We're, we're going based off reputation. But where does reputation even come from, right? It right. comes from just what we hear. So a lot of this is, is sort of hearsay and, and, and just based on, on word of mouth. But that's all we have. And, but I can tell you, having covered this Colts organization, and I've, I've heard enough of Chris Ballard extolling the virtues of Ed Dodds, that I, I believe it and I buy it. The other thing I would say is that Ed Dodds, number one, he, he's been in demand, so it's not like this is new. I mean, he has been in, in demand for a long time. Uh, he pulled his name out of the Carolina GM search last year, and I thought they were genuinely interested from what I heard. He pulled his name out of that search. He's been very picky about where he wants to work. He's got a good job. Chris Ballard has taken care of him. I assume pays him very well. He's got a promotion since he's been here. So it's not as if he's out there dying for, for an opportunity. You know, he's in a really good spot, and he has a lot of influence on this team. And the other thing I would say is that he loves just the, the nature of scouting. I think at his heart, he's really a scout. You know, he's not a corporate guy. He's not, you know, I, I still don't think I've ever seen him in a suit. <laughs> I wonder what that would look like. <laughs> so I, I think there's part of, I, I'm not, I can't speak. So this is my conjecture and, and my observation. But I can tell you just from observing and what I know of Ed Dodd, he loves the scout life and it's what he's about, you know. And the other thing I would say is he's very, very intense. He is a competitor of the highest order. Uh, he is intense in every in every manner of the job, so not just on game day. He's intense in free agency. He's intense in the draft. I, I've talked to agents who tell me, man, this guy, man, he, you're dealing with a, a tough dude when you're dealing with Ed Dodds. <laughs> so some of them don't love that, but, but that's a reality, and they know what they're dealing with. He's fine being the bad cop to Chris Ballard's good cop. So he's an intense guy. I think that can be good in a lot of ways. Um, and, and he has the respect of a lot of people around the league. So he'd be an interesting candidate, and I, I think he's, he's a guy who, who a lot of people have had a lot of interest in for a long time. Yeah, I don't think Chris Ballard's a suit guy either, just based on watching Hard Knocks. Uh, <laughs> I also would say uh, Mark Davis, not a suit guy. Uh, so so could he fits be, right in, is what yeah, we're saying. <laughs> could be interesting. Uh, Stephen Holder from The Athletic, or should we say New York Times, Stephen Holder? 
Uh, I, don't, I just, whatever the paycheck says, man. <laughs> there you go. Great, great stuff, as always. We really appreciate it. And uh, make sure you go check out all of his work. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, uh, Holder Steven. So flip it around. Uh, Holder uh, Steven with a PH on uh, on Twitter. So there you go. Great stuff, man. We appreciate it. Okay, talk to you soon. Yeah, good information, especially uh, on Ed Dodds. I'm not a suit guy, so I like that. That's good to hear. I'm a suit guy. You are. <laughs> you are beyond suit guy. Uh, <laughs> Steve Cofield, not suit guy either. We'll hear from him and check in in a little bit with Caleb Herring as well. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today.